Hi, y'all. It's been a while since I've done a podcast, but today we are joined by Ingwan Che. Ingwan has a wide variety of experience as he's been a trader at Morgan Stanley. He has held multiple sales positions at various SaaS companies. He has attended MIT for college and Columbia for law school and is currently a founder of a startup called Glen Coco, which is a tech-enabled sales marketplace for inexperienced, aspiring young salespeople. Um, I already know this episode is going to be full of valuable advice. So everyone, we've got a very important guest today. So without any further ado, let me introduce you guys to the man himself, Ingwan Che. How are you doing, Ingwan? Hey, doing well. Um, appreciate the intro. Uh, makes me feel a little sheepish, but um, glad to be on and, and great to connect again, mate. Yeah, totally, man. So I guess I'd like to start this podcast off because um, I was going through your LinkedIn and saw one of like the first links that were in was in your profile and kind of want to go into your ex experience at MIT in Columbia and Back to the LinkedIn part, I saw that you posted a Gangnam Style YouTube video at MIT that absolutely blew up. I think I saw it at like 5.6 million views or something like that. Can you tell me a little bit more about why you did that? I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, why does anyone do anything in college? Um, it's a great period of life where people are having fun and, um, you know, uh, doing cool, weird things. I guess this was, this would have happened, I think back in 2012, but I was a sophomore and this was when Gangnam Style was going viral and, and blowing up and, and all these parody videos were coming up. And I was with two of my friends who, uh, you know, I'm Korean, Gangnam Style's Korean, and I was in the Korean Students Association club and two of my buddies in the club and I were, I think we were drinking some beers and just kind of looking at all the Gangnam Style parody videos in one of our dorm rooms. And we were like, we, I bet we could make something like this. And then someone said it and then both of us, the rest of us were kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I bet we could. And we started kind of it just started off as like a casual conversation and um, it kind of snowballed. We're like, well, we should get X, Y, and Z. We should do this. We should do this. And it started off as a fun little project. Uh, my friend Eddie was the director. I was the producer. Uh, Richard was the side main character actor. And it started off as we just started getting a bunch of student groups who were interested. And then it snowballed and we started reaching out to professors and other people in the MIT community. And it, um, you know, we started kind of productionizing it and setting up schedules and yeah, it just became a crazy project. My GPA dropped, I think like 0.2 points that semester because I was blowing off a lot of classes running around to, uh, you know, film, film things and, and make the video successful. But, uh, I, looking back, I think it was like so worth it. And it was one of the most fun experiences I had in college. So yeah. Yeah, man, that's. That's super cool. I, I watched it and it looked like it looked like you guys put in so much like time and energy into it because like 
there's like every like second there's like a whole new kind of like scene going on or something like that but good for you and that seems like a very fun project to do um did you ever yeah, do yeah. Like, did you ever do what are those what was that um did you ever do like the Harlem Shake or do a parody of that? No, we didn't do that. We were uh, we were one hit wonders. Um, gotcha. But yeah, that was also pretty fun as well. Good for you, man. I'm glad that you hit 5.6 million views on YouTube. That's kind of a little subtle flex, I'd say. But um, tell me a little bit more about your experience at MIT as well as Columbia Law School. Um, I know that you're a startup founder. I'm kind of curious as to why you decided to go to Columbia Law. Um, but yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'll start with my MIT experience. Um, the unofficial kind of motto or things that students and alumni will say about MIT is it's like drinking from a fire hose. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously just surrounded by some of some really smart students and really accomplished people. I remember, I distinctly remember the moment a couple weeks into MIT, uh, you know, I, I'd obviously gotten some pretty good grades when I was in high school to get into MIT. And within a couple weeks, you know, I, it was that feeling of being like big fish in a small pond in high school. And then going to MIT where I realized I was a small fish in a big pond and just so many brilliant people that I've met um, and friendships and relationships I've cultivated along the way. Uh, but it's so energizing to be surrounded by some really incredibly motivated, driven, um, you know, smart people and, you know, it has a fun spirits, you know, a little bit nerdier, I think I would say than most schools, but um, I'm a nerd too. So it was, it was a great environment. Um, I think that drinking from a fire hose mentality in terms of just the uh, intensity of the coursework and the pace at which students are expected to learn um, was foundational in allowing me to, uh, you know, go work at some really great companies and learn from some really um, amazing mentors. So my first job when I graduated MIT was to work at Morgan Stanley as a fixed income derivatives trader, and I spent about five years there. Uh, my journey to Columbia Law School starts there, where about three years into my time at Morgan Stanley, I realized that, you know, the company was great. I was making a pretty decent amount of money for my age at the time, uh, but I realized that uh, I was looking, you know, I wasn't looking for a long-term career in finance or trading. It wasn't as exciting to me. And so mm -hmm. my first thought was I kind of missed school. I've been working at a pretty intense corporate environment for about three years at the time, and I couldn't really bring myself to go to business school for a lot of reasons, but uh, I'd always been fascinated by the intersection of regulation and technology for which there isn't a lot of judicial precedence. So what that means in like plain English is like, even back in 2016, 2017, I was kind of like, oh, if AI becomes big, like there'll probably a lot, be a lot of really interesting questions to ponder from a regulatory perspective. And so, mm -hmm. We all go back to my nerd roots and be a law professor. And so I applied to law school in 2016. I got into Columbia and deferred for a couple of years. Um, and then in 2019, I got a call, a cold call from the dean of the law school. And she was like, hey, I noticed you were, 
you know, on file as having deferred law school for a couple years, you do realize that every time you defer uh, from Columbia, you're essentially uh, blowing up, uh, you're taking up a seat because we have limited seats and there might be other people that where their entire dream is to go to Columbia Law School and you're taking up that seat. Like, and, you know, she didn't say it directly, but she was basically telling me like, you need to tell me what you need to do. Are you, are you planning on ever attending or not? Finally, I was like, all right, it's now or never. I'd now been five years at Morgan Stanley, and I was like, okay, let me um, F it. Let me uh, go quit Morgan Stanley and go to law school. And then I was at law school for about two months before I ultimately I dropped out. But, uh, you know, I walked into orientation. It was, it was cool, but it, it just felt like there was even more I could be doing. Um, everyone I talked to in orientation, and I was like, hey, what are your hopes and dreams? And they were like, I want to go into big corporate law and you know i don't think there's anything wrong with that but i just spent five years working in a really intense kind of corporate banking environment and i was like man i, I wish I, I was a little jaded or or kind of had seen what that was like and, and so i was like man there's so many of these bushy-tailed people who want to go into corporate law and and the corporate sort of finance and you know law firm world in new york and i just it wasn't that exciting to me and around that same time I have a brother and he works in venture capital and he was like, mm -hmm. Hey man, like get the whole law school thing. But I also like, kind of don't get it. Like knowing your personality, uh, you know, you're a little bit too fast paced for academia. Like, have you ever considered working for like tech startups? And, you know, I, I thought about it because obviously I went to MIT and a lot of people from MIT go and, do entrepreneurship or start try to start their own companies. Um, mm -hmm. But I hadn't seriously thought about it. And, and my brother kind of talked me into applying for a couple startups. He's like, look, man, even if you get offers, like you don't have to necessarily, you can stay in law school if you want to, but you should just apply and talk to some people uh, to see if you know it might be interesting. And so I applied to a bunch of different startups. Uh, a lot of them rejected me. They were just like, you seem really smart. Obviously, you went to a good school and you worked five years as a fixed income derivatives trader at Morgan Stanley. We just have no idea what to do with you because square peg in a round hole, like, do we put you in operations and marketing and sales? Who knows? So I got a bunch of rejections, but I also got a couple offers and I ended up taking one of the offers. Um, the company seemed to be growing pretty quickly and the leadership seemed quite solid. And so I ended up dropping out two months in, relocating to San Francisco in the Bay Area and joined Mercata, uh, which was a Sequoia-backed, at the time, like 150-person company. And, um, you know, I was really fortunate to have joined an awesome company and helped build that company up, working in sales operations and business operations and then growth marketing. Uh, spent about two years there. And when I, when I dropped out of law school, I told myself I wanted to spend about two to three years learning the ropes before starting my own company. And so spent about two to three years working for Vercotta and then another company called Wiz, uh, which is now a $10 billion cybersecurity company. And I was their head of growth. And after about a year, I was able to uh, have my own go at starting my own company. And so that's how I ended up uh, starting Letgogo. Did those two sales positions that you held did those have any impact on you starting Glen Coco absolutely so to be clear I wasn't you know a chief revenue officer or head of sales I was um, 
I was in sales operations at Ricotta. And what sales okay. operations is, is, you know, and I, I like to use maybe military analogies for business and war, because in the modern day, business is the new battleground. But I think a lot for a lot of these enterprise or technology companies, the sales force, like the account executives, the sales development reps, they're kind of the, the foot soldiers and the cavalry. And yep. the sales operations team is sort of the, uh, the logistics team that helps supply the soldiers with um, weapons, with food, uh, builds bridges so they That's can cross uh, into new territories. Um, so I was kind of that on the team that helped support the sales team and make sure that from a data perspective, the right targeting of accounts, um, you know, doing a lot of automation to help them identify their best prospects and things. Uh, we, I was tasked with helping to build a lot of those frameworks out as well as kind of uh, owning and, and running kind of compensation for the sales reps and, you know, calculating those and, and making sure they get paid. So, um, and then on the on the growth marketing side, my job was to kind of find leads that the sales reps could then talk to uh, that were interested in potentially buying the solution or the services or the product. Um, and it was there when I saw a big problem that I think Glenn Coco uh, is solving, which is that I think there's some statistic that shows that about 50% of all you know new sales pipeline for business to business companies are generated through cold calls. You might not think about it in today's day and age where everyone wants to go send smart emails and you know message people yeah. on linkedin but oftentimes a good professional cold call can be the single most effective way to you know find the right prospect get them interested in the product bring them the next steps and so um it's, it's a big space a lot of people can do it it's often the first thing that someone learns when they go into sales it's like how to talk to strangers how to cold call people how to generate interest how to qualify them um, but there's a lot of challenges with the model. The first is that the average, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the average tenure of a sales development rep or a business development rep, especially in the business business space, is anywhere from six months to 12 months. So yeah, it's very long. high churn department. It's oftentimes high pressure. You have like these quotas, you gotta hit your goals every month and if you don't, and it's a very up or out model where you either like survive and you get promoted or you don't do well and, and you get laid off. Um, mm -hmm. if you think about what that means, it means that businesses and companies are incurring a lot of costs, just having to constantly hire, train, unfortunately fire some of them, um, provision them with tools and software that they need to use and then deprovision them. And so there's a lot of shadow costs for businesses. And then for people also, if you're in sales, you're just constantly living terrified of, of hitting your quota and and yeah. hitting your goals and, and hitting your KPIs. And so against that backdrop, we decided to create Glen Coco where it's really easy for businesses to list on a marketplace and they're like, hey, here's who we are, here's who we what we do, here's our products or services, and here's the type of potential customers we're looking to talk to. And then on the other side of the marketplace, uh, people can sign up and create an account. They sign up to be a contractor. It's, it's a lot like signing up almost to be an Uber driver where you just fill out some information about yourself um, and your background. And then uh, the Glen Coco marketplace allows people to see all these different companies and what kind of leads they're looking for. 
and we've built a lot of like really cool dialing and calendar scheduling infrastructure to make it really easy for companies to uh, generate leads, you know, using this outbound cold calling uh, channel and for people who can do this work pretty flexibly remotely from home to log in and, and perform the work for companies. And it's, if you're, doesn't matter whether you're completely new to sales and you want to actually get real world experience, we have a great platform that allows people to do that. Or if you're someone who's been a business development consultant for you know over 10 years, you, you're really good at cold calling, you have great skills, uh, and you're just looking to make some money kind of flexibly, easily, remotely. All you need is a laptop and our application. You don't need to download anything. It's just the web app that you can use with a dialer and calendar scheduling. So it's really frictionless and easy for people to make money um, getting better at sales. Um, I think a lot about sales is it's a lot like sports where you you have to actually put in the practice, you have to, you know, lift mm -hmm. the weights, you put right. the shots up better. And our platform makes it really easy for people to hone their skills, keep their skills warm, learn new skills while also uh, being able to make money to do that while doing that basically. Yeah, man. When you when you first showed me Glen Coco um, a couple of days ago, it totally blew my mind. And I love how you kind of use the analogy of how it's kind of like Uber. Um, because it, it really is, you can just get on there and sign up for any campaign or any company or startup that you are interested in or the niche that you want to go into. And it's, it honestly was totally mind blowing to me because I had never like thought of anything like that. And I think it's brilliant. Um, so I encourage anyone who's listening right now, who, um, is looking for some sales experience or sales just like practice or if you're already someone who has the skills to sell and is just like he said looking to just make some extra money and work flexibly remote remotely or any of that stuff definitely check it out and um yeah man that like it's it's crazy to me that you came up with this idea and it's amazing, dude. Um, have you had any challenges with this startup so far? Oh, tons of challenges. Every startup. I'd love challenges. to hear them. Uh, I'd love to hear them. Yeah. I think the first thing is we're a marketplace. So, you know, when you think about a marketplace, you need supply and demand. And so it's mm -hmm. like, how do you get a bunch of people from nothing? How do you get a bunch of how do you convince a bunch of companies to list on a marketplace and um, you know provide different campaigns for people to access? You know we now have over 20 uh, companies and campaigns on our platform. We've been around for about a year, but we really released the platform in July of this year, so it's really only been about five months or four months. Um, but you know the question is like how do you how do you seed one side of the marketplace with demand and we've been doing a great job continuing to onboard more and more companies in different verticals and industries ranging from cybersecurity to home improvement to you know data streaming platforms to property manager software um, accounting services so we um, learning management software we have we have a lot of different companies on our platform using us and then on the other side how do you go and convince a bunch of people that this thing isn't a scam and, and, you know, how do you, um, get people to kind of sign on and, and, you know, get them successful, uh, you know, uh, 
the other thing is like, how do you kind of build trust in a marketplace? Because trust is the single most valuable commodity in a marketplace. Like how do you get mm-hmm. companies to trust outsource salespeople and how do you get salespeople to trust companies? And, and so those have been like just the natural kind of challenges that come with scaling up every, every marketplace. But with each month we build out new features and new things and provide better data, build, data visibility and stats to allow uh, people to, you know, have different options and, you know, we're super quick on um, customer support and service on both sides of the marketplace. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say anything beyond the typical challenges that any startup faces, uh, but yeah. yeah, we always, always tons of issues to continue working on. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear. Um, and it's good to hear that you guys are pushing through those challenges. Um, what are some key skills people should be working on if they're trying to break into the entrepreneurial space? I think 99% of people who say they want to be entrepreneurs, um, they love talking the talk, but ideas are a dime a dozen. Um, the graveyard of human history is littered with tons of ideas that people are like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, but the hard part is actually executing on that idea. Um, Thomas mm-hmm. Edison, one genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Uh, perspiration being sweat. Um, yeah. And so, you know, if I had to give advice for entrepreneurs, a lot of, a lot of talkers out there, they will talk a mile a minute about all the brilliant ideas they have, or, you know, they'll, they'll talk about themselves, they'll talk about their skills. And to a certain extent, that's important because what you're doing really when you're talking is you're marketing, mm-hmm. but marketing only goes so far to actually build the product or, you know, if you're looking to have a career in sales, there's so many people who just love like talking about sales, but they don't actually like understand like talking about sales is one thing actually like having real experience delivering results is a complete other game. And, um, you know, I, I know tons of people who they'll, you'll never see them on LinkedIn or you'll never see them kind of posting. They're just quietly just relentlessly focusing on improving their skills or building a business. And, and so my advice to entrepreneurs is like, talk is cheap, you know, there's, it's a long road to actually building, building and executing on the talk. Um, so, mm-hmm. and, 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 and it's a lot like Navy SEAL training where like, have you ever seen those Navy SEAL training videos where like not a lot of people make it through Navy SEAL kind of auditions because you ring the bell at the end where it's like, you're tapping out, like, I can't do it. I, it's just yeah. like too hard. You know things aren't working i don't see how things will work blah 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 and all these things and the best entrepreneurs are always the people who are super consistent day to day they have a process they have a long-term vision and they're just going to go you know executing on it nothing's going to be perfect things will always break there will always be issues there will always be fires but the people who succeed are the ones who are consistent and really kind of put in the results and one day like things just start clicking and and, but a lot of people give up uh, during that point from A to when things start clicking somewhere beyond during this point, because they're either talkers and they don't know how to actually like 
yeah. continue executing or they are executing on it and they just give up because it's too hard. Um, yeah. So it's really easy to say you're an entrepreneur, but it's it's just so much harder to actually, you know, live it and breathe it and actually kind of walk the walk. So that would be my advice. Yeah, and I I totally agree with that. I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm an entrepreneur. I would say that I one day would love to be an entrepreneur. I don't know what that looks like for me yet, but I can say that with all of the stuff that I've been doing on LinkedIn, like at the start of me deciding to do that, it was very up and down. And I guess that kind of showed me a little bit of how like, I'm obviously not like building something. I'm trying to build an audience. I'm trying to build a community, but like it kind of goes hand in hand, you know, like at the first moments of me trying to start posting on LinkedIn and starting to create blogs and podcasts, like it really showed me how not perfect everything is and how much work goes into it. And that's, that's just like a small part of my life. I would just say that I can totally relate to that. And you just need to continue to stay persistent because I've been doing this for probably over a year now. And like the opportunities are starting to come in. Like we're doing this right now. Um, I don't think I would have met you if I didn't have a solid LinkedIn presence or was doing what I'm trying to do and trying to build. So, um, no, yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. What are some, some things that you've done in your career that you would say got you to where you are now? I would say two things. Um, and sorry, let me just message someone cause I'm going to be a little bit late. And yeah, we can, we can wrap this up really quick too. Yeah. Um, I would say two things. The first is try to put yourself in situations where you are the dumbest person or the least talented person in a room full of exceptionally talented or smart people. Um, I would agree. And when you do that, you basically get to level up and just see like how really amazing, talented people operate. I'll give mm -hmm. a great example of sports analogy, which is that um, in 2008, for example, the uh, this was during the Beijing Olympics. Um, so the USA basketball team, obviously like a team full of superstars, they had to train and work together and it was like, you know, the redeem team. So it's like the top players in the world on the U S Olympic basketball team and they're training and working out. And if you listen to some of the interviews by some of these players, like Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and these are like, obviously like all stars, like top performing people. And they would consistently say that that USA Olympic prepping for the, the summer Olympics with other superstars was, completely life-changing for them because they saw how like Kobe and LeBron, um, you know, approached working out and, and, and practice and training. And it was just like on a completely different level than what they were used to. Like, they'd be like, okay, I'm going to come in like two hours before morning shoot around at like 8am instead of 10am start. And they thought they were doing like a great job. You're coming in two hours before. 
And then they'd come in at 8 a.m. and they'd see that like Kobe and LeBron were like sweating because they'd already woken up at 4 a.m. for like a three hour workout. And they're, you know, so when you surround yourself and you put yourself in situations where you're like the least talented or, you know, the dumbest person in the room, you're able to just see like what's possible from a human limit perspective when you mm -hmm. see people who, and, and, and I think being able to kind of constantly seek that is uncomfortable because it basically you're basically like you know by default you're always going to be in situations where you're not like the most talented person in the room but you do that a couple times and one day you look back and you start realizing like you are way more talented than the people in the rooms that you're now in because of that time that you've yeah. spent being the least talented person in the world so having like a learning line, mindset but being able to put yourself in situations where you're surrounded by people that you can really learn from is important and, and mentorship and, and those relationships are important. The second thing is that, you know, I took a very kamikaze pilot approach to solving hard problems where anytime there was like a really hard problem, um, a lot of people would be like, Oh, I don't want to deal with that. Like, you know, that seems like something that like, I don't want to be owning that because it's, if I fail, it's going to make me look bad and things like that. And mm -hmm. I, very kamikaze pilot approach where I was like, in any situation or business or setting, I was always like, hey, give me the hardest problems or let me be the one working on the least sexy, like unsexy things. And I'm going to go figure out how to like figure it out. And yeah. that sort of mentality where like, if there are complex problems to solve or, or challenging situations, that mentality of wanting to run into the house that's on fire instead of running away from the house that's on fire and doing that over and over again allows you to be someone who can put out fires and solve problems um mm -hmm. and so like having that mentality where you're embracing difficulty and embracing challenges and embracing like the hard things over time you do that enough times and suddenly you become known as the guy who can deliver results and and um you know solve problems basically and that's that's an amazing kind of skill set and asset to have yeah, I couldn't, I could not have said that any better, man. That was round of applause, round of, round of applause right there. Well, um, I have to agree on everything you said there. Um, I can't, can't deny that, but Ingwan, those are all the questions I have for you today, man. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and taking the time out of your day, some, to drop some killer value to me and the listeners. Um, it's been a pleasure discussing all the great things that you've been working on, your entrepreneurial journey, um, your Gangnam Style video, and just everything we talked about today. I thought we had a great discussion. Um, and to the listeners, I hope you all got something out of this episode. So please save and subscribe if you enjoyed it. It's up to you. Um, I hope you all have a great rest of your week. And remember to win the day. Ingwan, thank you again.